Welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of the Brewery Explorers Podcast. This is Noah Jones, producer and co-host of the Brewery Explorers Podcast, and we have a really special episode for our first episode of the season. It's special because, first off, we were invited to Warped Wing for their Whiskey Rebellion release day to chat with a bevy of workers, and you'll get to hear three of our favorite interviews from that day. Finally, we've changed our name of the podcast to the Brewery Explorers Podcast, which we feel like was more representative of our content. Okay, enough from me. Enjoy the show. Cheers. We're back at Warped Wing Day in Ohio, where they are celebrating our Whiskey Rebellion Bear Festival with John Haggerty. How are you doing today? I'm good, Blake. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us on. Thank you for coming to us for this. This is such an honor just for me personally, just to have you to do this with, you know, from Eric and I, Warped Wing has always had a special place in our hearts. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. It's, uh, It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm glad we were able to do this on today right on whiskey rebellion day yeah so last time we were in this room we talked a little bit about how important breweries but specifically warped wing is to the dayton area talk to us a little bit about this specific beer festival what does it mean to you as the brewery and as the owner of the brewery and also like what does it mean for the city of of dayton uh, okay, I'll do, I'll do my best. Uh, I, sorry, uh, no, okay. heavy, heavy lifting to start the yeah, morning. Let's just jump right in the deep end. Um, well, first of all, I don't really think of it as a beer festival. You know, when I think of beer festivals, I think of multiple breweries with multiple beers each, and you know, maybe you're in a big field, or maybe you're at a convention center, or something of that nature. This is more of like a release party that we do here so it's just our beer of course and we release our barrel-aged imperial stout which is called whiskey rebellion here at the beginning of december every year so it's usually the first saturday of the month so this year that's today december 2nd and you know over time and when we the first year or two that we did it we just did the barrel-aged imperial stout right and that was it and then in order to you know keep some juice going with the event we started doing some different flavor variants. So we've done different things in the past. I think the first year we did peach vanilla caramel. We just had the one variant. And then the next year we did that, plus we added an apricot honey variant. So we did those for a couple of years. Well, then of course that starts to get to be old hat. So then we started doing different flavors for those variants every year. It's turned into this rotational thing. Don't ask me to name them all off because I can't remember everything we've done. That's I'll why cross I, that one off my question. Yeah, I could probably come up with a couple. Like we we've done. Uh, well, you like can just tell us your favorites. And I can't. I don't. I I don't really have favorite. I don't oh, think about them that way. It's kind of like your children. I'm it's a lot like your children. Yeah. <laughs> but this year, two variants are what we're calling chocolate peanut butter crunch, and an amaretto coffee, and then of course. Subsequent to doing all these things, we started to do a limited, what we call a reserve release. That can be any number of things we've done. Normally, we we age the Imperial Stout in a particular distillery's barrel. I'm not really allowed to publicize which distillery it is, but it's a large distillery from, from Kentucky. And then some of the reserves we've done where we've aged it in different barrels, right? So then you can taste, well, what is the beer tastes like in barrel A versus what does it taste like in a barrel from a different distillery or a different, you know, sort of spirit type. So like last year, the reserve came out of the Bell of Dayton, 
right, in their barrels. And we typically will age those longer, right? The normal age is about 12 months or so for the Imperial Stout, but the reserve usually it'll be two or three years or something. This year, the, the barrels were the same. They were from the same distillery on the reserve, but we aged them for seven years. So it's a long age, and so now you can see the impact between the the sort of original, you know, year aged imperial stout and the beer in a in a barrel from that same distillery, but aged seven years. Right? Gotcha. Okay. So that's the lineup that we have for this year. Um, you know, we already we already did a preview with our flight club, which is our pint club membership. <clears throat> So we always, as part of the Pint Club membership, part of the Pint Club membership, we have these special events and previews that we do for certain things, and this is one of them. So somewhere between, you know, three, four days and a week before the event, we'll invite them all in and give them a preview. So we did that on Wednesday of this past week. And so, you know, I was walking around, we had, I don't know, 70, 75 people show up. You know, I was walking around taking an informal poll of what people liked, right? And so the peanut butter and the seven year seemed to be the two favorites, but I got positive feedback across all of them, which made me feel good, right? Because sure. something always ends up as the favorite. You know, you never know what it's going to be, but as long as you're getting positive feedback, somebody, multiple people named each one as their favorite, right? I got multiple votes for the Amaretto, multiple votes for the original. Then we had a plethora of votes for peanut butter and a plethora for seven years. So it was interesting to see. So I know that you said that you won't be able to remember all of them, but I'm wondering if there was any that you were sort of like, oh, well, I'll just see what this tastes like, and you were blown away by it. Well, I think the the peach vanilla caramel, which was the first one, mm-hmm. right? Um, sometimes your first ideas are your best ones. Sometimes they're your worst. It's, you know, that's a roll of the dice a little bit. But I think that one worked really well because those flavors all tend to go together really well with bourbon. And so that's the thing, that's the challenge. There's already a lot going on in the beer, right? You've got the Imperial Stout itself, which has lots of, you know, chocolate and roast and vanilla flavors. And then you've got the bourbon and the in the oak and the tannic quality of the oak and some, you know, vanilla and coconut notes from the oak. So there's a lot there. And to get to add a flavor to that and get it to be complementary to all the stuff going on in the beer already can be tough, right? So the peach, vanilla, caramel, I think that those flavors reach out to all those things really well. Which I think I remember mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. And we've also done some other stuff, like uh, we, did a, we did a chocolate espresso version one time. That was released off-cycle for like a Father's Day event one year. I think we did that during the pandemic because mm-hmm. we needed to raise a little extra capital. Of course, of course. Right? So, yeah, so we've done a number of different things. Uh, we did a churro last year. I've heard great things about that one. Yeah, that turned out pretty good. So, I don't know. There's probably a few others. Like, they just I can't recall off the top of my head right now. So, sure. go back to the peanut butter one. Because I, I, how does that process go with the peanut butter? Are you taking jars of Jeff peanut butter or are you using, like, real peanuts? Well, we call up the captain, right, Captain Crunch. <laughs> he comes okay. over. He comes over and hangs out with us for the day. No, we don't use jars of peanut butter. Okay. Uh, we use a peanut butter extract. Okay. And then we use some, some peanut extract as well. Because in, in peanut butter, of course, you know, there's a consistency. So you got to get that to all dissolve. And there's a lot of sugar mm-hmm. in there. Um, mm-hmm. So you got to watch out for that a little bit. But there's a lot of oil, right? And the oil in the peanut butter is going to do not 
pleasant things to the consistency of the beer. So you don't really you don't really want to do that. Yeah. So yeah. So we add it as a as this extract. Gotcha. Source. Yeah. Cool. So with then going to the coffee one, is there a certain coffee? That Folgers. You, for, for, oh. Use. Actually, we use Senka. Oh, Senka okay. is our, our yeah. go-to. All right, decaf. Right, that's not true. By the way, <laughs> well, I know how you guys use like Esther, a little price. I wasn't sure if you yeah, use Esther's like a, a local. Yeah. yeah, we have in the past. We've done a lot of work with Press uh, Coffee, which is right around the corner. Really, really great. Had little, it last week. Yeah, <laughs> great little place. We have done stuff with them in the past. We didn't do anything with them on this particular beer, um, so it varies. A little bit. Cool. Yeah. So I'm going to re-ask the first question. What does what does this release? Oh yeah, mean sorry, to you I lost all? track of all that. Is yeah, it, no, is no problem at all. On whiskey rebellion. So I think to us as a brewery, and to me, and I think you know, you'll have a chance to talk with my partner Nick later, ask him the same question. I'm sure you'll get some similar stuff, some different stuff. But it is historically, you know, the biggest sales day, single sales day of the year for us. So that that means a lot in terms of the efficacy and the health of the brewery. So obviously we look forward to that. In t- and that's, you know, from a business sense. In terms of just cachet and, and what it means to us and our, our customers and our fans, right? I think it's a, it's a day for everybody to sort of celebrate what we can do as a brewery, which is great. And, you know, one of the things that I hear consistently from the people that attend uh, whether and you know I was getting this on Wednesday with the fight, flight club event, you know these guys look forward to this beer because it's the beer that they can trade out of market that has has some legs, you know when they're working with their trading partners around the country. Like hey, I'll send you a couple bottles of this, and people are always happy to take it. Apparently, because I I don't engage in that. Um, I mean I do with my brewer friends. We'll send each other stuff, but sure, you know. Nobody's like, no, no, I'm not sending you this unless you send me that. They're just like, here's a box of stuff. Right. You send a box of stuff back. Well, that's actually a really interesting sort of economy, if you will, where it's a great sort of like earned media type of marketing thing that obviously you're not doing yourselves, but but it's a great sort of benefit. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? I mean, like the flight club deal also, right? It's interesting because it's like, okay, here's, you know, 70 five or so of our biggest fans mm-hmm. we're letting them in early you know and they can they can buy a limited amount of bottles we have to make sure they don't sweep Clear us out, out right. The main event, right? <laughs> and so they get a chance to try it so that potentially takes 75 of your biggest fans off your primary event day because mm-hmm. they might think well that crowd it's too much i don't want to deal with it they might not come down on the other hand you let them put it in their mouth early and hopefully they go out on social media and they're like oh yeah we had it it's hard. it's awesome you guys got to come down and then maybe it drives more people in it's hard to say right so it cuts it cuts multiple ways right and to your point you know as a small brewery your customers and your fans are really your biggest marketing tool right it's word of mouth you know we like this place this is our local place. This is where we like to go. We want to share that with their friends and fellow beer enthusiasts around the country. And so they start using it in trades, right? Gotcha. Going back, because I always see a comparison, like when you see a line out for your stuff, then you also go to, like, they're at a little look, liquor shop on a when they're releasing bourbon. I see a very lot of comparisons in your 
you see that trend as well. And well, I don't track what spirit know, releases are but, doing, but so I can't similar. I can't speak to that. But um, yeah, we get a line. I mean, pre-pandemic, the line was more. Uh, it's interesting. You know, every every market, every consumer market's in flux, and stuff like you know global pandemics. We'll throw that into yeah. into sort of weird behavioral trends. Um, and so I think we're still trying to figure out, you know, what that means for beer post pandemic, mm. you know, because it's certainly not the same as it was before, but I don't know yet where it's going to. So we still get along. We still got people sitting outside waiting right now. Um, it's not as big as it used to be, but maybe give it another year or two and it will be, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. Is there anything else that you wanted people to know about the Whiskey Rebellion? No, not really. I mean, it's a big beer, right? So drink it judiciously. Even a, We sell it in a 375 bottle, so like a 12-ounce bottle. That should probably be split two or three ways, you know, responsibly. Uh, and that doesn't mean two or three bottles two or three ways. It means like one bottle two or three two ways. Or three ways. <laughs> Because it is the better part. It's like 11 and a half-ish. It's the better part of 12% alcohol. It's got some juice, so be careful. Gotcha. Yeah. Otherwise, I think it's fun beer to make. You know, it takes, it takes you know, some extra effort on, on brew day uh, to make it. In fact, next week we're, we're making next year's release, getting it in barrels here before the end of the year so we can get our, our full age on it. So, you know, it's always a special day because just couple extra things you got to do that are different from a regular beer because you're loading that mash tun up all the way so oil longer all kinds of fun stuff that we do so when i was at a third eye when we did the 513 collaboration with them and we did a big pastry style and they had they asked for volunteers clean out the mash tun oh yeah yes they did and they just sat me back and said you guys go have fun with yeah yeah so you ever read tom sawyer blake no, I probably should. I have. See, that's that's why you volunteered to do that. Yeah. Right. Here's the here's the job. <laughs> that's, the your, that's your that's your here's the job paint. I don't yeah, want to do. The paint fence. Yeah. How how do I get someone else to do it <laughs> yeah. for me? Hey, who wants to clean out the mash tun and see what it's like to be a brewer? Here, you go do the shittiest job in the brewery. <laughs> hey, we all just, start somewhere. And you just yeah. heard him now. He's like, oh, it's such a special experience, and you're like. Oh, man, they got you. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that was a fun day. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, look, it's fun, like, the first few times. It's always fun it. until the sweat comes. <laughs> well, even, you know, the first couple times you do it, you're like, oh, this is cool, right? Because now I'm being a brewer, <laughs> right? But you do that for 30 years, and you're just like, oh, I hate, Ugh, I hate being a brewer. But, <laughs> no, I don't hate being a brewer, but I hate doing this part, right? And it's like anything else, right? I'm sure... There are several, you know, accountants or actuaries out there that are just like, man, I hate Excel. I've always got to do Excel. I'm sure. I'm right? sure. Yeah. Oh. They like, they like, uh. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right. Samples are here. That's good. Yeah. Um, so will you, will you walk us through what's on the flight here for us? Yeah. Yep. So these are the four iterations for this year. Uh, the OG uh, is the original, you know, the, the, the. Primary base, Whiskey Rebellion, Imperial Stout, aged in bourbon barrels. Uh, of course, the chocolate, the chocolate PB Crunch, chocolate peanut butter crunch, 
Amaretto Coffee, and then the Seven Year Reserve on the on the right. So that was describing them left to right. Gotcha. So is your so is the Seven Year the oldest one you have in your collection, or do you have one from the original? Like well, we have bottles, uh, and originally we did this in cans. So we have some cans. I think 2014 and 15 were in cans, if I remember correctly. Um, and we save bottles. Uh, and it's, we save some packaged inventory. So when you talk to a brewer or, or a person, sales guy, or somebody that works for a brewery, packaged beer means it's in a can or a bottle, right? And then draft beer, of course, means it's in a keg. So when you hear someone talk about packaged beer, they're talking about cans or bottles. Right? Gotcha. So we save some of the packaged beer every year and put it in what we call our library, right? Yeah. And then we'll sit on it for another year or two, and then we'll start to trickle it out in the tap rooms. So you can come into the tap rooms pretty much any day of the week, all day, you know, every day, all year long, and there'll be some vintage of Whiskey Rebellion available. You could also potentially, I'm not gonna promise you, you know, there's a finite amount, but you could potentially come in and also ask the bar staff if you could get a particular vintage. Now they may not have it in inventory when you come in, but you know, they might be able to talk with our warehouse manager and figure out, okay, do we have any of that in stock and, you know, in the back stock and then can we can we bring it in for you and, you know, let you know so you can come buy it. Because uh, we do, like I said, we do keep that in our quote-unquote library. Now, we don't typically save the variant. Some we do, you know, it depends, but mostly that's done with, with the, the original, right, the, what, what they're calling the OG here. So I have one more question. It's not about what you're doing. You were talking about 2014. 2014 is going to mark your 10 years. So in yeah, your, next year's 10. Yeah. Yes. What could you imagine what you've done going into 10 years? You have like four locations, and everything you're doing. Do you imagine when you started this journey? So when I came to do this project with my partner Nick and our former partners Joe and and Mike, you know, I. I envisioned it as being because I thought we had a really strong team as a as a project that we would be able to make grow and so to that degree the answer is yes I did imagine this however the way that growth has manifested itself is different than what I thought it would be right I thought the growth would be more wholesale and wholesale market sales and less taproom right and it's turned out to be the opposite so that that's interesting, right? I don't I don't really consider myself to be a restaurateur, right? I wouldn't hire me to run a restaurant, <laughs> you know. But I happen to own four, so uh, I really consider myself to be a brewer. And we've been fortunate enough to hire some good people onto the team who are really restaurateurs. And you know, between you know. Nick and my input in their skill sets and so forth, you know, we've been able to make it work, which has been has been great. And are you happy with your four locations, or are you all you guys are always looking towards, you know, a fifth? Well, I think right now, first of all, I'm I'm happy. The answer is yes. I'm happy with our four locations. Yes. Right. I think they perform well. It can always do better. So you're always, you know, trying to find ways to make the things that you have better, whether that be the tap rooms or whether that be the beer recipes or processes or whatever, right? So will there be more tap rooms? I, I don't expect that there will be any more in Dayton. I think Dayton 
you know, you never say never. I wouldn't want to put myself in that box, but I think we've done a pretty good job of supplying this market with that. We'll see. Uh, there's a I think there's potential for another tap room, but it would probably have to be out of market. And right now, I got enough other things going on. I'm not, I'm not actively seeking that out. But you yeah. know, sometimes, I mean, it's just like the tap room in Mason. We weren't looking for that. Right, we had just really just gotten Springboro open and sort of on its feet and starting to starting to run a little bit, and that opportunity fell in our lap, and so it was too good to, to say no to. So, am I actively? Are we actively out looking for a fifth location? No, not today. But if the right opportunity came along, would we take it? Maybe. So, right. looking back at the past, you know, nine ish now 10 ish years that you've been in in the brewery business here what room do you see yourself having to grow going forward for the next whatever decade yeah well i think there's you know there's there's a couple of things that are going on right if everything was in was sort of in stasis there's there are two challenges in terms of the market you know one is you know beer has always been a mature market Right, the the wholesale market's always been full. It's not like there's some unfulfilled beer drinking demand out there, right? Um, so it's always been a matter of either taking sales and fans away from. Originally, that was taking them away from the big domestic brewers, and of course, you know, there's every day that goes by, there's more and more competition among the craft brewers. So it's interesting because. It, Craft has been very collegial to this point, and I think it continues to be, but you have to think at some point, some of those market forces are gonna have a negative impact on that collegiality. Well, we, we did talk about that sort of thing with Streetside in our first season, talking about how you know there's only so many people in a specific city. During mm -hmm. this conversation with Streetside, we were talking about Cincinnati, but I mean, yeah, I don't. I'm not from Dayton, so I don't know how many breweries there are. But but Eric and I did a little bit of a of a alcohol crawl yesterday, and so I went to several. We passed by several breweries, including you know Voodoo and the Oregon District and Toxic. 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 I keep doing that, including Toxic. Excuse me. See, yeah. I'm not Voodoo's from Voodoo's in Pennsylvania. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. And there are a lot of breweries in, in in this city, and it seems like there's only so much room and so many shelves in grocery stores and stuff like yep. that. So the competition will become real for sure. Yeah. Well, I think you know the uh, first thing is you got to look at your you got to look at your model and you know we have you know we're sort of knee deep in both sides in the in the retail model and in the wholesale model a lot of the other breweries in Dayton really are mostly focused on the retail model right they they are what you would you know traditionally call a brew pub right they make their beer primarily sell it on site to their customers that come in the front door and that's great and i think that particular model which is why you know we've opened up a number of tap rooms has a fairly unlimited amount of growth right because really what you're saying is you know I'm a restaurant or I'm a bar sort of vibe but I make my own beer right and so people ask me how many breweries can any community support and it's like well how many restaurants and bars are there right because theoretically each one of those could convert over if they wanted to and do it themselves right 
Now, you know, that's not free and it takes a certain amount of expertise and, you know, there's some hurdles there, but it, it's possible. The wholesale market, I think, is a, is a bigger challenge, right? Because that speaks more to what you were saying about the shelf space. And so it's a challenge to access it and it's a challenge to manage it. So, for example, you know, Kroger, who's been a great partner for us, we sell a lot of beer there. You know, there can sometimes be disconnects between their corporate management and their store level management, right? Where the corporate management will prove something to be put on the shelf, but then the store level management won't take it. Or vice versa, you know, the corporate management hasn't, hasn't approved it, but the store level guy will say, okay, we'll make an exception and they'll put it in. So it creates a really difficult sort of maze of management to try to know what's going on. Like, how do we make this work most efficiently? And of course, they don't approve you. I mean, we, we packaged something like 25, 30 beers last year, meaning into a can or a bottle, right? It, it's a lot. I can't get them all on the shelf at Kroger. Kroger's like, hey, you can have four spots. Gotcha. Good luck, right? And they you get approved for this because everything has its sort of unique UPC code. You can only have those beers with that UPC code on it. And there's just a lot going on there. So that takes a lot of time to keep that managed and organized. And of course, trying to convince them, you know, to put something on. And so as a small brewery, like if you're, if you're a brew pub and, you know, we'll use Toxic as an example, because they're not really in the wholesale market. They're really, you know, a, a brew pub and, and they, they rely on their, and they do a great job and they rely on their, their retail sales, if they wanted to go into the wholesale market and try to make a go of that, A, they got to put in a packaging line. They got to find space to run that equipment, you know, store all the raw materials required for packaging. That, so that's a that's a big investment. And then you got to try to ball your way onto the shelf, right? right? And right. the people that control the shelves aren't necessarily looking for new stuff. Right. So it's a constant battle. And so it's interesting, right? I think right now, the flip side of all this is right now, you know, craft beer is in sort of stasis or, or even, you know, in decline a little bit. Certain markets or certain segments of craft beer, you're seeing them, you're seeing their sales numbers pull back. And so this happens. This isn't the first time this has happened in craft. It's happened before. You're going to see a shakeout. You're going to see some breweries not make it. Hopefully, we'll be one of the ones that gets through. Typically, you know, they don't make it for one of a few reasons. Maybe the liquid's not that good. Maybe the marketing's not that good. Maybe the business management practices aren't that good. Maybe, you know, they've, they've got an overhead matrix, you know, rent and debt service that is in excess of what they can charge for the beer. Who knows? There's all sorts of stuff that, that can happen. And so as you see some of those players cycle out, for those that are left, that creates opportunity right so that's what we're gonna that's what we're going through currently and it's what we will be going through as a industry for probably the next two three four years and then we'll get to the other side and we'll see you know so that'll be this happened by the way in the late 90s and early 2000s also you know so we had this sort of 20-year run mm -hmm. you know the early 2000s and the 2000 teens where there's a lot of people that are like oh look at these people making all this money running craft breweries i'm gonna get a piece of that and, you know maybe they shouldn't have done that right and, and so you'll see some of this go away then you never know what sort of demographic is going to add to beer craft beer has historically been white male right for for better or worse there's been a lot of articles written about the lack of diversity in, in craft beer and it's also I'm not, for better or for worse the makeup of this podcast <laughs> yeah yeah we're all white dudes sitting here 
but and, really, and you know, really great look, people. I, I think you gotta, you gotta, and I'm not trying to make excuses for anybody. I mean, I think diversity is important, and I think that that every company should be trying to do things uh, to diversify itself, and, and we do what we can. But you got to remember, this industry was a grassroots industry started by people that really didn't know what they were doing with anything, and so. Like anything else you're gonna sell, it's easier to sell to people that are like you than it is to sell to people that are not like you because you don't understand that culture and what motivates them. You understand, as a white man, I understand what motivates other white men, right? If I like it, they're probably gonna like it. And that's how craft beer marketing started. So right? you may not have an answer to this, and if you don't, I'll take it out. But what, as a business owner, then, are you doing to try and capture the person of color or non-white market? Yeah, well, I don't have a specific plan. I can't, you know, we talk about it a lot. How do we break into other markets and and how do we cross over? And I I, I don't have an answer. If I had the answer to that... You'd be a millionaire. I I would be, because I'd be selling it to all the other craft breweries. Right, right. I would be making more money doing that than I would running my own brewery. So I don't know. I mean, we, we talk about it. We try to do what we can and be as welcoming as we can, but I don't know. You know, we I'm, I'm looking for input on this. If anybody has any and they want to call with their ideas or email, I'd be happy to entertain them. One of the things that I do see that's a is an encouraging trend is that there's a number of breweries that are being opened by, you know, black people, by people of African-American heritage and so that's starting to bring that demographic into craft which I think is great yeah same with with Hispanic and Latinos and so that's starting to bring that demographic into craft and so as those individuals have success in their enterprises that helps the rest of us right because now we've got people of color who are fans maybe they became fans because their neighbor opened a place in their neighborhood but as they become fans of craft beer, they come in and they're like, well, hey, I haven't been to that brewery, I'm gonna go check it out, right? right. It, it's interesting, you know, one of the things I'd really, you know, I think the easiest way, if it's, you know, is to, to hire a diverse staff, right? Because mm-hmm. consumers like to go places, you know, like when they walk in the door, they can see themselves represented in the staff, right? Whether you're a punk rocker, or you're, you're, you know, if you're a banker, you're not going to the punk rock bar. And if you're a punk rocker, <laughs> you're not probably going to Pine Club or something, <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, people like to see themselves represented in the staff. But it's interesting because one of the... I've one of the, the Pine Club. You, you'll have to work on that. You know, get yourself a suit. Yeah. Um, bring cash. I Although, just, I'll tell you what, I don't think they care. Right. Yeah. As long as your money is the right color, they will never <laughs> Well, I, whatever. I lost track of what I was saying. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter. But it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a work in progress. Sure. Right. And so. Well, we I can tell we you, as a, as a consumer, I think it's fantastic that you're at least open to trying new things. Yeah. I yeah. think that that's, I mean, especially as, yeah. you know, our, our um, for lack of getting into politicalness, I guess. But like, I'm not ex- to be super woke, I guess, is the word I'm trying not to use. But but it's good, I think, that you're being more inclusive and that, that you're tr- striving to diversify your staff. Well, it, it, I think we're, we're conscious of it. Well, that, that's the point I was trying to make is I would love to hire a more diverse staff. One of the problems, is, and we run into this, and I think it's not uncommon across the industry, is because craft beer has historically spoke to white people that's who applies for the jobs interesting 
Yeah, right. That makes sense. Because communities of color, since they're they're not yet integrated into craft beer, don't think about applying to work at craft breweries. Interesting. Yeah. Which that's because on my next show, I'm talking to the people over at Alamatic. I would definitely oh, yeah. have to ask that question. Yeah, yeah, them. you should. They, they would have, and I, you know, I've talked to them about this. Actually, I, I called them a couple of years ago, and I was like, hey, you guys want to sit down and talk to me? Because I need to like get my head around what we can do, and it, that was interesting. Uh, those guys are really great. They make they make good juice. And, they do. Yes. And they're really nice guys, and they're running a great little business over there. Mm-hmm. You you guys and them are my favorite in the Dayton area. Awesome. Yeah. You well, really what do you think? Before it. we sign up, what oh. do you think of the beer? So, oh, so I, I wanted to say this. You yes. haven't heard from me too much because I've been way too busy drinking the. Um, peanut butter crunch. I was yeah, going to apologize like the for the yeah. clunking during during John's speeches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no one and I have. Uh, We've been you sharing at, all yeah. the... My favorite is much like your Pint Club chocolate PB crunch. Yeah. I think the aftertaste is very special. Oh, yeah. I think it's really good. It's a Saturday morning. Yeah. This it's, is like childhood. Right you know, now. you kept you talked about Captain Crunch, and I'm definitely tasting my yeah. favorite memories as a child watching yeah. TV right. with a bowl of Captain Peanut Butter Crunch. Yeah. So you nailed it for sure. Yeah. And I also really liked the Amaretto coffee. Yeah, me yeah. too. Yes. And the, but the, the, the baseline one is good as well, which I think when you see a good baseline on a barrel-aged beer, that means the rest is going to be good. Yeah. Well, awesome. I'm glad you guys like it. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. The music is blaring behind us, so we will let you get get to celebrating you and your business. So sounds great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, we're back with Quentin and Chris. Both of them are brewers for Warped Wing. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Thanks. Awesome. Awesome. So we typically start these podcasts by asking our guests how they got into craft beer. Why don't we start with Quentin and then we'll go with Chris? So I appreciate you guys having us on, first off. We're very happy to be here. Yeah, no, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. Yeah, my story is that, you know, it's pretty similar to, you know, I think a lot of folks in the industry. I was living in Chicago about 2015. Uh, Chicago craft beer scene was exploding. Really got into homebrewing at that point in time and fell in love with the, uh, with the industry. Got to meet a lot of good folks. Through a part-time gig that I had up there, bartending and so forth, got to meet a lot of folks in the industry. In Chicago at that point in time, man, the craft scene was exploding like I said just really something special to, to, to see and witness so started home brewing yeah I kind of went off the rails like I think I think it does for a lot of people I moved back to Columbus Ohio and really just took that to the you know to the nines really fell in love with that 2020 came around and like a lot of people in, in you know in the country here things changed a lot you know I started working from home um, in my previous job and uh, really just kind of had that uh, you know that existential crisis uh, for me that you know, working in corporate America was uh, was maybe not something that I was looking forward to, to doing for the rest of my life and um, you know, my wife and I at the time uh, we kind of decided that I was going to do this it's you know shit or get off the pot or excuse me I don't know if we're allowed to uh, do <laughs> it do it but that was that was trying to limit that but uh, <laughs> yeah that's essentially what it was you know and so um, Made the decision last year, or I guess in 2021, to uh, to attend Siebel um, up in Chicago and over in Munich last fall. And so I did that and came back here to Columbus. And yeah, not long after, you know, touched base with John here, landed here at Warped Wing. So. so aside from Lake Michigan, what's the difference, in your opinion, between the craft brewery scene in Chicago and in Dayton? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's a, I mean, there's quite a bit. Honestly, I think it's... Um, 
Chicago, you know, being the size that Chicago is and with the Chicago craft beer scene being as big as it is, I think one thing that's really special about that city is the diversity, mm-hmm. um, you know, neighborhoods, you know, it's, it's, there's such a, a wide range of different, you know, individuals, different neighborhoods up there. And so with the size of it and, you know, the number of craft breweries that there are now, I mean, heck, I think in, uh, you know, greater Chicago area, there are over 300, right? People have to find their niche, and so I think what is really special about Chicago is the number of breweries that just kind of have that sole focus, and they can they can thrive off that, right? And they can put together really good business plans and have a strong following for you know, some lager breweries, or you know whether that's barrel aged uh, sours and stouts or whatever it might be, right? Chicago's really got that. Where I think Dayton, while we have some good beer here, it's a you know a lot of us cover, I think, uh, more of a wide range, which isn't to say that's uh, that's you know good or bad, right? It's just Dayton's a little smaller than Chicago. So. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I think unfortunately, maybe not if you're into small towns, but uh, it's definitely a smaller town than Chicago, and I think that that's very obvious from the get-go. So I, Dayton's I got some great hidden gems, though. For sure. So, yeah, yeah. I was. And, thank uh, you for thank you for finishing that sentence. Yeah, I was sort yeah, of yeah. blinking. I was saying something like, I'm from Chicago, and I'm like, yeah, I do live in Dayton. Yeah, because having moved from Columbus to, to Dayton here, you know, I've been very surprised with uh, not just the, the, the craft beer scene um, in and around uh, the greater Dayton area, but also just the, the craft beer bars, uh, restaurants, and places that really promote it um, in, in the city here. So it's been something cool to, I mean, to be a part of. I mean, you're, you guys are right next door to one of my favorite beer bars ever, the Barrel House. Yeah. So. yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, Dayton to me sort of just looks like a craft beer city. Right, like you know, I don't really know what that means, but you just look at it and you're maybe it's just because I know Blake and Eric, but it's just sort of like, oh, this place like does a lot of craft beer stuff, and I think that that's true um, more than like necessarily when you go to St. Louis, where I'm from, and like everyone's like, oh, Budweiser, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I think that that's kind of a cool thing that like, you know, before we started this podcast and before I spoke with John last year, I feel like when I thought of Dayton, I thought of Warped Wing. And so, yeah, anyway, Chris, tell us a little bit about how you got into craft beer. So I spent about 12 to 15 years climbing the ladder in the restaurant and bar management. And in that industry, you know, in any industry, right? Uh, But in that industry, like burnout and the wheels spinning in the mud kind of were pretty prevalent to me by the end of my climb. At that point, I was in charge of like this big craft program that we had at the sports bar that I was running. I was into selling bottles. We were buying big 22 ounce bombers and pitching them like shareable wines and I just kind of got, like I said, burnt out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then there was the prospect of going to work for a brewery, which was something I always wanted to do. Uh, at that time, Warpling was opening its second location in Springboro, and I jumped on that train as quickly as I could. Gotcha. And I know that Whiskey Rebellion release day is a huge deal for the brewery uh, for sales, but talk to us a little bit about, like, maybe the emotional, for lack of better words, that it means for you. Like, what, is it, what does this day mean for you guys? Because I know it's a huge celebration. Yeah, I mean, it's a... As a brewer, it's very like satisfying to be here and see like people wrapped around the building waiting for a bottle that came out of our hands, right? Yeah, um, you that's got to be like the coolest thing ever. Yeah, it like the, being a brewer in general can be very satisfying because you do realize that something that you're creating is something you're putting like for myself personally passion as well into, and like that that to me like is the reason I'm here. You know, again, coming from the restaurant industry, like I liked creating food and menus and drinks that people enjoyed and getting that feedback off of it. 
In the brewery world, that's kind of few and far between you get that satisfaction. So to be able to show up here on with your rebellion day and again, see that line and see people shoulder to shoulder in the tap room, like that's that ah moment. Like, all yeah. right, we're doing this right. But you know, you, you mentioned emotion, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so like one thing I wanted to touch on too is like the, the process of getting the beer into the barrels for me is like almost emotional. Okay. Uh, you know, there's a lot of running around. There's a lot of hustle and bustle in the brewery during the day-to-day -day activities. And when you're actually racking beer into a barrel, that's that one, one of those few moments in the brewery that you can really just kind of take your time. And like, it is just, again, satisfying. I hate to just keep repeating yeah. myself, but just hovering over a wooden barrel, you know, pulling that racking wand up out of there and getting that burst of like fresh, bur freshly empty bourbon barrels and smelling that sweet, you know, almost finished beer going into it. I mean, there's just nothing better. So we talked with John about how Warped Wing has been around for almost a decade now. So I would imagine that the brewing for Whiskey Rebellion is pretty much down to a science. But talk to us a little bit about what it's like and if you ever have to like change things, whether it's due to ingredients or maybe there's new technology involved. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think that innovation and change is the foundation of the craft brewery scene in general, right? And as far as like a steadfast recipe like Whiskey Rebellion that we have been doing for a decade, you know, we try to stick to as true as the original recipe as we can just because that's what people have come to love and love. But with that being said, like you're not in control of every aspect of your brewery process, all your raw ingredients or anything at all, for a matter of fact. Like there are a multitude of things that can go wrong just in a single eight hour brew day. <laughs> but again, with that being said, we try to stick to what we can. You know, sometimes, you know, this grain isn't here. It isn't available in the amount that you want it to be right. in. It isn't available in the specs that you want it to be in. You just kind of learn to roll with the punches. Again, that's just kind of at the heart and the foundation of being a brewer is to... Find a way to make it work. Yeah, find a way <laughs> to make it work. Like, you know, like I said, you just roll with the punches. Like, you come in and, you know, you want that runoff to go smooth. And some days you're looking at that like, man, that is going to take forever. <laughs> and, like, ideally you want it done in 90 minutes. And in reality, it's taking two and a half hours. You just make it happen. <laughs> now, when you brew these, are they in the big tanks you see when you walk in, or do they go into like smaller, like brewing? Your because I know you have different brewing systems. Does it go into the main system or? Yeah. So Whiskey Rebellion is made here in Dayton. This okay. is our main production facility. We run a thirty-barrel brew house. Mm -hmm. um, so for. Like I said, for all of our big production beers happen down here in Dayton. You mentioned us having different uh, systems that we brew on. All the different brew pubs and locations that we have have these smaller systems that allow us to kind of play around with and do some R&D, if you will, on new styles and ideas and experimentations. But Whiskey Rebellion specifically comes off a 30-barrel system that you see right when you walk in the doors of our original location. Now, then when you put them in the barrel, do they all get transported to Springboro? Is that where they get racked, or do you age some here still as well uh that's just based on you know what kind of uh space constraints yeah. we have at the time so we uh you know we've been fortunate the industry in and of itself is in a bit of a struggling period right now um between people trying to over expand and overgrow what their capabilities are uh again we've been fortunate when we built that warehouse down in springboro back in 2020 it was like holy shit now we've got some space now we can start doing some stuff well, then came along two other locations within two and a half years, and now, like, I'm speaking for our distro team right now, too. They're like, dude, when can we get some more space? So, but going That back sounds to, like a good problem to have, though. Yeah, absolutely. Again, we're fortunate. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of closures and a lot of mis 
very unfortunate events happening in the industry right now with people that are, just aren't being able to you know keep doors open like they wanted to but going back to your question about producing it here and racking it out and putting it in burrow yes for the most part we do all of our barrel aging down in spring burrow we have a climate controlled room that we keep all of our barrels in once they've been racked out of our fermentation tanks down here final question here so when it comes to your guys' work, what is like Who the top? Who does it better? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? this guy's more educated. <laughs> no, what is something like when you see people come in, or whether it's something you see yourself? What is something you take pride in the most? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'll take that. I'll, I guess I'll start with that. You know, I think you know for me, who you know, somebody that you know, you know, I, I, so I, I'll step back here. You know, I, I joined uh, Warped Wing here in February of, of 2023. Here, so right, I'm going on. About ten months at, at this point, and uh, although you know sometimes it feels like you know three years already, here, but there's a lot to take pride. I'll you know to touch on what Chris had said earlier. I think one of the drivers for me for getting into the industry right was being able to create a product that brings everybody together, right? That can sit down and have conversations and kind of put out a lot of the the issues that people might be you know dealing with and can sit down and just you know have friendly conversations with. Uh, with their friends and loved ones. And honestly, being able to, to be in here on Tuesday nights even, right? When we do a, or Thursdays when we do a new release or Tuesday nights when you know, trivia is here and it's packed, man, right? Like it's a full house, which I is awesome to see. So having you know been here and really gotten to, to, to know the brew house and to, to learn the processes of, of Warped Wing and, and really get integrated into it and feel like, uh, you know, I'm, Full part of this team now for sure and being able to sit back and like know that the product that's you know out there that people are enjoying and having and being able to sit back and just kind of be like yeah you know, we created that and you know we're driving a lot of these memories that, that people are having so that's like the the one big reason that you know i really wanted to get into the industry because you know I, I love to host people i love to entertain i love to please people right it's been an awesome way to do that so you know it's been really satisfying in, in that sense for me here over the over the past year so yeah i mean i can second everything quentin just said i'm tearing up a little bit Uh, (laughs) you know but then outside of that too there's a self-satisfaction right you know i came here out of industry burnout from the restaurant industry Mm -hmm. and uh you know i find pride in my own personal work you know before the beer ever hits the tap rooms before there's ever untapped reviews before you ever have this random guy that stumbles up to you in the tap room like oh my god did you make this <laughs> you know before that ever happens you know we're actively watching everything in these tanks you know and you're seeing every stage of the beer from grain to glass and those middle steps where it's like you know we're working with a brand new recipe whether it's one of our new seasonals for the first time we brewed on a 30 barrel system or it's something that Quentin and I had devised and put off on our three and a half barrel system in Springboro. Seeing that beer come to fruition and every step along the way, like tasting and smelling and measuring gravity and checking all these points out. When you hit those numbers and then you're finding those things, it's like, okay, on paper, this is what I designed. You know, and on paper, this is what says to do. I have that satisfaction that I have a knowledge and that we yeah, have the sure. ability to execute what that original idea was. And I think that there's, for me, there's that satisfaction, like I can go home every day, like, hell yes. Like all 10 of our tanks are where they should be. And even though it is a process to watch from grain to glass and time, there is no immediate satisfaction. You can find that as a brewer almost every day as you go through the processes. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. Well, really that, nice. thank you really guys nice so much answers. for talking to us. I mean, you guys Thanks gave us so much better answers than you led us to believe you would when you walked in. <laughs> 
Well, it's yeah. a good thing it's a podcast because again, as brewers, we hide in the background. So, you know, <laughs> right. We've got maybe a face. We got the voice for podcast. Maybe. That's We're what my dad really always says. I have a voice for or I have a <laughs> face for radio. Yeah. So. Face for radio. Yeah. But thank you guys so much. Thank you. It's have a happy uh, whiskey rebellion. You day. got. Yeah. You guys. Well, you guys are keeping working up to the greatest standards, and I'm, I really enjoy coming in. Always. Yeah. Hey, we appreciate that. Thank you, man. That yeah. does mean a lot to us. So, again, thanks for hosting us, and uh, maybe we'll do this again next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah sounds yeah. great. Cheers, sounds guys. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Yep. Cheers. As long as you got peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're back for our final interview of the day with co-founder of Warped Wing. This is Nick Bowman. He is a... He is celebrating his birthday today, so it's a big deal. So everyone go ahead and sing happy birthday in your head. But we always, Nick, we always start this uh, podcast off by talking about how you got into craft beer. And especially as one of the largest Ohio brewery founders, we'd love to hear how you got interested. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for having me. I'm not going to tell you my age, but appreciate it. Thanks for coming down today for Whiskey Rebellion Day. So I think my my path to craft is, is a little interesting. I'm born and raised and from Dayton, went to UD. When I graduated, I got a job at a uh, Anheuser-Busch distributor in Indianapolis. My dad had worked in wine di- distribution, importing, and, and a little bit of beer early on. So I was exposed to it growing up. And then I had some family members that worked for Anheuser-Busch at the corporate level. So they kind of got me in at the ground level in Indianapolis for zinc distributing and that's really where I fell in love with the beer beer industry uh, albeit you know at the, the higher level macro level I fell in love with it and uh, from there I worked there a year then I got on with actually the brewery Anheuser-Busch and I worked in several different positions over my time there mostly in sales and some in marketing as well in about 2008, I worked there for 10 years. And about 2008, I started to take note of craft beer, namely in the Indiana market. Uh, and some of my favorites, Sun King. Uh, my first, yeah, my, my those dudes are awesome. My first, I think my first craft beer was actually Three Floyds at a Buffalo Wild Wings in Plainfield, Indiana. And I hated it. I, I, <laughs> I was selling Budweiser at the time, and uh, the bartender was like, hey, this is a pretty popular beer. Taste it. And it was an IPA. And if, you know, the first time you had an IPA, you're like, oh, my God, you know. Maybe this is just me, but I was the like, tenth time I've had an IPA, I was like, "This is disgusting." Yeah, so, and ahead. so <laughs> go now, off, now it's like, okay, throw whole hops in my IPA, right? right. You know, <laughs> it's crazy the journey. So I started to take note of it, and I started to do like my own exploration of breweries. And at the time, you know, Anheuser Busch's portfolio of craft beer was, you know, pretty pretty light. I think maybe we had Goose Island at the time, but it wasn't, you know, like the local resurgence that was happening. So started. You know, paying attention to that, going to local breweries, going to beer festivals back here in Dayton, learning as much as I could about craft beer. And I mean, that's kind of where my my love for craft beer started. And then, as you know, it just snowballs after that. So that's kind of how I became exposed to craft beer. So we've we, uh, we've talked to a plethora of Warped Wing employees today, and they've all sort of told us how amazing the feeling is to come into work today to see the line of people walking outside the door lining up for the whiskey rebellion tell us a little bit about how you feel about it you know you've been here for 10 years right so you know talk to us a little bit about all the blood sweat and tears actually becoming a tangible thing to look at and and realize i think you know it is crazy that it's coming up on 10 years it went fast to see people still you know lining up for our beer i think you know, you're always humble in the fact that nowadays there's so many different breweries out there and, and so many great beers. So the fact that 
people still hold Whiskey Rebellion, you know, probably our, our most coveted barrel-aged beer that we, we make, is, is an honor, really. Over the last 10 years, the scene and the industry has changed so much. It's exploded with growth. And like I said, there's a lot of great beers out there. So the fact that we have people that are willing to brave the cold, you know, today we got 50-degree weather. That's like summertime in November. But... Um, yeah, they did. And in, in years past, not so much. So, you know, I appreciate the commitment that people make to get in line for whiskey and, and the variants and a very humbling experience. It's different, obviously, than a few years ago. I think COVID played a role in that. And, you know, people's habits have changed as far as big events and, and big releases. But still, no less, still an honor to have people come out and support and line up for this one once a year beer release. So... And as far as like weathering a lot of things, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that. You know, we've seen our set of challenges and, and craziness over the years, whether it be, you know, tornadoes or, you know, shootings or pandemics. We've, our people, our team, you know, we're a pretty resilient group. I think that's kind of baked into our DNA now of who we are and who the brewery is and what we represent. So we never really give up. And, and a lot of times our people... You know, they step in when things get tough and they have a call to action about them to help people when the community needs it. I'm very proud of that. But yeah, it hasn't been easy. I would lie if, if I told you that it was. But those challenges also make you a better brewery and a better business for years ahead. You know, I mean, going through those things, it really tests your metal and it's, it shows you who you are. As, as, as people, as human beings, and also as a team and a business. And I'm pretty proud of our track record and the things that we've overcome and, and we've evolved. I mean, obviously you guys have seen we're a lot different brewery today than we, we were 10 years ago from a, a very limited tasting room, no food, to now four locations, three full service tap room restaurants. So yeah, the game has changed, we've changed, but we're still here and, and we're in we're in a pretty good place. You know, obviously there's some economic headwinds that we're experiencing right now. It seems like we never get like a really good run uh, the last few years, but we're, we're built to, to handle those things. We're built to weather them and we are, and you know, we'll come out of, of this whenever that may be, and we'll be stronger and we'll be ready to, to grow again. You know, your comment on your, you know, how this and your other four, I love all your other three, but it's something about this day and location that still has the heart of Warped Wing. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, like I said, I love going all, but my favorite brewery at Warped Wing to come to is this one because yeah. it just has the feel of a brewery. Brewery, and it, and it feels the same as it, even though we weren't there 10 years ago. Yeah. But we, it wasn't probably that far off right. when you and I first came here. Oh, yeah. It was first. Because you introduced that. me to Warped Wing. Yeah. Thank you. You're the oh, man. <laughs> no, because I learned breweries out in St. Louis, like Urban Chestnut, the Forehand, Shaft. Dude, the Urban Chestnut guys are my homies. My oh, cousin right. is an owner there. Oh, no, right. Right. Yeah. that's the connection. Okay, we've yeah. always wondered that. We're like, we, we went there and we saw like you guys have done like collaborations and stickers and like, Lager Fest. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I used to work for Dave Wolf, one of the owners. When I was at Anheuser, those are Anheuser Busch guys, and okay. Florian was the like one of the head brewmasters. He was in charge of the Budweiser yeast strain, and and uh, my cousin John Shine. You know, we worked together in Indianapolis, and then he went and joined Urban Chestnut. I was looking to join with those guys oh, really? uh, before we decided to, to do Warped Wing. So well, I've got a special love. Yeah. As, as the only St. Louisan of the group, I guess I can sure. say uh, 
cool. Yeah. <laughs> you can say that. Yeah. But it is funny at this point, all of us have family in St. Louis. Yeah. yeah I mean, great I, town. Great personally, I love it. I love yeah. it. So I wanted to ask you, you know, you've, you've mentioned the challenges and, and how basically we'll call it evolving. Warped Wing has evolved into being this almost monster, if you will, of a brewery in, in fairly central Ohio. What do you think you're most proud of as a, as the co-owner of someone of a company that's been around for a decade? I mean, yeah, that's right. so hard to do whether you're selling socks or beer. Well, first off, I want to I want to address the your comment about how like a monster cuz you know, I think that the image is that we are bigger than we are. We're really not that big of a brewery. I mean, when you look at locations, yes, we have four locations. When you look at volume we're not that big. Uh, yes, for Dayton, we are big, but we're strategically smaller than, than we appear. And that's because our goal has always been slow strategic growth. And that's part of the reason I think we are here 10 years later and still here because you could kind of see what was happening out in the world. And, and you know, there's a lot of breweries that chase volume and go into multiple states and, and do that. And it works for some, um, but it also can be a very dangerous thing. And, and if you did it before this last resurgence very dangerous as more locals popped up i mean people want to support their local local right mm-hmm. so i just wanted to say that you know we okay well nick let me rephrase as an elmo sized monster <laughs> what are you most proud of over yeah. the last decade of yeah. being in business i think i would say you know i already touched on a little bit of it kind of the resilience of our team and i think that kind of piggybacks into the evolution you know we didn't have a strategic plan to open any other locations these were individual and they still are opportunities that presented themselves at the time and that we were able to evaluate and you know decide that they were good strategic moves for our business and i'm glad that we did how we had we not opened springboro i don't know where we'd be today if we'd be i mean if this was our only location and you know, we went through COVID. COVID was devastating to the downtown scene. Yeah. Uh, and oh. it's still, we're seeing, yeah. we're still seeing. Uh, I mean, the, the Premier Health building. Yeah. They're like, everyone's remote. We're, yeah. yeah, we're done with this building. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, conversely, you know, Springboro was already in motion. And, you know, people have been watching that building be built and they were locked in for three months. And so they came out in full force. And so that really changed the trajectory of our business. And, it also propped us up as we came out of COVID, and it gave us a, it gave us a springboard to grow. You know, when you look at our ability to grow through COVID, it's kind of like, how does it even make sense, right? I mean, it, it, it's kind of antithetical to what's happening, but Springboro was really that opportunity that helped us learn a new competency in, in you know, full service food, elevating our food program, and then allowed us to take the next steps with you know Mason, and then with with Huber Heights, and so I think. The fact of just being mindful of what's going on around you, although you, you, you watch the competitive landscape, you also have to stay true to what you do, what you do well, and you can still learn new things, you can evolve. Uh, I think you have to evolve because the, the industry's changed, the world has changed. Not just craft beer, people's habits have changed because of you know the pandemic and, and things like that. So I'm pretty proud of that, that we've, we've kind of stayed frosty in that, in that regard, that we've been willing to change and evolve, and it's, it's paid off for us. Because one thing I've always loved about you guys is it was like Esther Price, Dorothy Lane Market, right. now at UD Flyers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you guys are always connected to yeah. Dayton. Dayton. Yeah. Dayton. 
And, and, and you don't see that in a lot of businesses. Like some businesses forget the area they're in and they grow too big. And No, I mean, that's always been from day one, you know, civic pride, community intimacy. Yeah, use that word because like staying tied in with not only like local breweries, but local businesses and local entities, right? I mean, you named three big ones. And that... Or Dane Strong when you guys yeah, did Dayton, that together. That was with, you know, the Dayton Brewers Alliance. That, you know, another example of the Dayton, how wonderful the Dayton community is, you know. And uh, I think that's important. Early on when we were, you know, in the process of opening the brewery, we were very, very felt very strongly about locating downtown because we wanted to be Dayton's brewery, you know. And whether we were going to be, we didn't know, but that was our, that was our mission, that was our goal. You can't be Dayton's Brewery if you're in the suburbs. You know, you got to start in the heart, yeah. in the urban center. That's what we felt. And so there's a lot of cool things, and my partner John says it best, like, it's cool to be from Dayton. And we want people to celebrate that with us. And whether it's, you know, bringing back cool stories and the names of our beers or, you know, strategic collaborations and celebrating all that is cool in Dayton, that's definitely been part of our mission day one continues to be part of our mission today so that has not changed now if you just bring what you guys did at the caroline like you brought all the Dayton beers then the caroline lawn and you could go drink all the beers in one location that was awesome mm-hmm. i wish you guys would do that more because that, that was su- such a blast you know i was i was out of town for that festival but from what i heard and i'll shout out to my my boy mike muncie and jason moore from mike from hairless hair and jmo from crooked handle those guys were like a driving force in organizing that and i heard i mean that it was one of the best beer festivals that people had been to and you were there yeah yeah i mean i i just think that would be cool to do again yeah try to help highlight dean beer yeah stuff like that we're working on something i mean we worked on miami valley craft beer week and we try to put together a festival, but you know, life is busy. Everybody's busy in their own breweries and businesses, and it's hard to dedicate that time to that. So, it's it's on the radar. It's something that we want to do to celebrate Dayton beer. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's definitely something that we want to make. I want to ask you to be a romantic for a sec and just be like, what's one thing that gives you goosebumps? Or like, you come in and you're just like, this just makes me so happy. Like, with your with Fort Wing, or the business, and you know what. Uh, it's twofold, but it, it's twofold, but it's common thread is people. Yeah. Um, first, I'm going to give a shout out to our team uh, at Warped Wing. You know, we have a lot of team members that have been with us since almost since day one. You know, I call them the OGs, and uh, they've been with us. They've weathered a lot of storms with us, and I've I've seen those people grow, evolve. Um, I'm very proud of that. And then we've added new team members. You know, in Springboro, we've got a core group of people out there that have been with us since that inception and you know I'm proud of that you know and and the work that those folks are doing um, in a different capacity at at that location and our Mason team and now our Huber team you know they've come on strong very very prideful very proud of Warped Wing and so the team that we've built I'm I'm, I do get goosebumps about that because people have a lot of choices where they work you know I mean there's a lot of options people are paying a lot you know higher wages these days and so the fact that you know our team wants to stick it out and they believe in what we're doing and you know that still gives me goosebumps and then the other part is the community of of Dayton and beyond uh, supporting us you know coming out to events like today Whiskey Rebellion Day you know we wouldn't be here if we didn't have such strong support from the community and uh, you know that means the world to us John and I talk about it all the time and that's why it was important for us to be quote-unquote Dayton's brewery because we wanted to really 
create strong ties with our community and continue to do so. so I think from a, from a people standpoint, the community, community we've built you know, inside Warped Wing and the team members, but then also the community that supported us and continues to support us and gets excited about things like Whiskey Rebellion and Killer Brownie and Esther Price, Esther's Little Secret, and you know, mm -hmm. now Flylight, which is a total departure away from typical craft beer. You know, we're, we're going after a new demographic of people that are excited. They're like, yes, Warped Wing has a light lager with the light specs of of the macro beers and I can drink that and get behind that because I, I, I like Warped Wing, I believe in what Warped Wing does. So, yeah. you know, it's all part of it. And I can speak for all of us, when we think of like the Dayton craft beer, the first thing that comes to our mind, Warped Wing. Mm. Yep. And yeah, that's 100%. Talk more about the, the Fly Light and how that is helping you deep. Yeah, so th that was a project that took several months to put together and it's funny how it came together. Like. I got an invitation. I'll, if you guys have time, don't indulge no, me. No. Yeah, man. You're our it's last all one. you. Okay, so we'll just run over. I got an invitation from UD to attend a NIL summit. You guys all know what NIL, yes. name, yes. image, and likeness, yep. right? Yeah, a lot yeah. of people don't know. I didn't know. We know Ryan guys did well, uh, we the talked since he lied, right? Yep. Yeah. I still didn't know. When they came out with that, I still didn't even understand what name. Right. Like, not the full scope. So I went to this summit at UD Arena, and... Coach Grant, Coach Williams were there. Neil Sullivan, the AD, and and Matt, the executive director from Dayton Six, was there. And they each went. You know, Neil kind of set the set the tone of like what it was. NIL, what's happening out in the landscape. NIL not done well. NIL, and then NIL like the Dayton way and how they wanted to do it in line with Dayton's core values and, and morals and, and ethics. And that really spoke to me as a UD grad as well. And then to hear the coaches talk about it and talk about the transfer portal and, you know, COVID and, and, and recruiting and, and all the difficulties that their team has had to overcome because basically the NCAA took the guardrails down completely and it's like the Wild West, you know. So that really hit home for me and then I was like, oh, okay, I see where we can fit in. And I also wanted, you know, deep down to have a bigger presence with UD and at the arena. I mean, their basketball games, it's a Dayton event. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's I would say, the premier venue. Because you're in UD. We are. We, we were in the Hops for Hoops I love kiosks, that <laughs> you know, um, with the other, with some other Dayton breweries. And we also had uh, tap and cans in the flight deck. And so we had some presence, but I wanted to, you know, increase that partnership with them. And But it was important for me that we had a fully integrated partnership, not just something with the Dayton Sixth, but with university. And I wanted the blessing from, you know, Eric Spina, the president, to Neil Sullivan, the AD, and then obviously with, with Matt and, and Dayton Six. So I wanted the whole thing. And so we went to work on it. And it was a very strategic plan and presentation that we had to put together because we knew that, you know, UD would want it to be in line with the Dayton way. And so we put together this program and it got the blessing. It got the blessing all the way through all the, the different levels, all the way up to the president. And, you know, I'm very proud of that because we, we worked hard and we, we could have just done it. You know, we could have just partnered with the Dayton Six, but that didn't feel right. That didn't feel like with who we are and, and how we, we support the community and being at the table the right way. So now we're able to create this, or we have created this brand, Flylight, and we're making donations to the Dayton Six to support student athletes in the right ways you know some of those programs you know are, are curated they're they're philanthropy based you know it's going to help the university attract the right talent because let's face it whether you support nil or not the flyer faithful want 
the, the Flyer basketball program, namely to be competitive, right? right. We yep. we got a taste of it at the Elite Eight back oh. in 2014. Oh, that was so much fun. <laughs> and so and, we and have, wait, and we don't even know what would happen in 2020. 2020, we won the national championship. You know, I'm yep. convinced that we would have won it, but COVID got in the way. But so you're you know, fired up to say that, yeah. yeah so <laughs> probably. So you know, it's a way for us to support. You know, we're definitely getting equity out of it you know new brand and we were going to create a light lager anyway we've seen the way that the things are going and and people are still drinking craft get don't get me wrong but we see people still going you know going back to their the light lagers and so why can't we have one and the fact that john created that on the first rip oh my god with 95 calories and you know it's really like three carbs but we're going with three and a half just to give him a little bit of leeway on each batch. But I mean, without the tools of the big breweries, I mean, that's very impressive. I'm very proud of that. Oh. And uh, I hope he is too, because I get a lot of compliments on the, the quality of the It's yeah. a good beer. And yeah, it's got it flavor. Is. It is, yeah. I'm really glad yeah. you said that, because we did not have a chance to talk about that uh, when he was here. You just drank from it. You're drinking from a glass that's being sold today specifically for whiskey redemption yep. uh but you mentioned Rebellion. before we started recording we that can redeem you've done ourselves the, as well <laughs> that you what you said redemption we're yeah. gonna redeem ourselves whiskey as well. Rebel. oh yeah here. <laughs> here's hoping i think noah's feeling the whiskey rebellion. yeah i think so <laughs> i think maybe do i need to speak more clearly no, 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 fine, no, no. Um, i've had so much today we just know you're feeling good that's all that matters <laughs> you're, doing great. you're doing great um but you, you you did a redesign of the logo right can you talk be specific because yeah. there's no cameras working right now so yeah. you need to really describe this is me trying to pronounce things so i'll tell you about the overall brand refresh and why what drove it and what we're doing as we evolved from you know just our downtown location and basically i would say 30 to 40 employees uh we opened up springboro and it became clear to me that we needed to really flush out the story behind Warped Wing and let our new team members know it because the further we got from downtown and the heart of it when you're a small shop everybody kind of knows the history they know the stories but then you, you you go far from that and it's like the game of telephone right the, the story gets watered down or it gets changed and then you open Mason and it gets changed even further and so a big piece of that was to flush out okay what are our what do we stand for what's our purpose What's our mission? Mission. What's our vision? So that was a big part of that. Um, but also, there were some challenges with the the original logo, which I love, by the way. Let me be clear about that. But there were some packaging challenges with it being in the oval. So we took that opportunity to break it out of the oval. If you notice now that it's it's stacked, uh, it's not hemmed in by any shape, by circle or an oval. It's freestanding. That's um, interesting. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so one of the one of the main things that we wanted to accomplish was to get the Warped Wing logo on top of the hierarchy of the cans and the bottle label. So if you see the old cans, it was on the bottom and it was kind of off-center. And so a lot of people didn't even know that we made Trotwood or didn't know that we made certain beers. And so research we did that people supported Warped Wing. It didn't matter what the brand name was. They were, they were Their affinity was for the brewery and not necessarily the brands per se. So that was a big piece of it. And as we were doing that, you know, we took a moment to simplify the wing design because there were challenges as far as that was so intricate and detailed that it was very hard to execute on certain medias. So we did that. And then we, we sharpened up the, the font a little bit and kind of contemporized it, if that's a word. Um, I liked it. <laughs> and just kind of brought it 
with a fresh look, some sharper font, and uh, and I think it turned out really well. And then in addition, you know, our cans didn't really stand together on the shelf, you know, because we went from a very artistic design, if you give our Gamma Bomb, for example, very artistic, illustrative in format, and then we went to a very simplistic lager design, and we wanted to merge the two together so that when they stand out on the shelf, or you know, you can you know that that's Whooped Wing because it's very crowded out there today. So there was a strategic yeah. measure to tie the brand together across the board. And so when you get to Whiskey Rebellion, that was kind of twofold. A, to make the labels consistent, and so they hold together. And I think if you see the variants plus the OG whiskey, you can see that. Mm-hmm. And it elevated the image of it too. I think it, it has more of a you know a higher end, maybe a, a bourbon type feel to it and so we changed the logo of that as well and and it turned out really well i can't really describe it to you uh as far as the artistic font but you just have to come down <laughs> yeah. to the brewery and check it out for yourself yeah. maybe like a art deco, is art what, deco. yeah, yeah i think that's what it's described yeah. that's yeah. why you're on the podcast yeah. Yeah. thank right you kind of a great gatsby meets yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. perfect description i like it i well, like it we we can't thank you enough for today i've been letting us talk to everyone and every this has been a blast and this beer is excellent <laughs> thank you if, you, if it's still on shows when this comes out you definitely got to go give it a try yeah we've drank so that. much of the uh, if there's any left i might yeah. drink all the beer <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that's, that's oh these two are chugging it like it's <laughs> well, you got to be careful it'll creep yeah. up on you so I was only expecting a five ouncer, and I got the uh, the beautiful glass here. So oh, it is beautiful. Well, it's your birthday. You yeah, yeah, it's my it's birthday. Your birthday. That's right, Nick. Have a happy birthday. Thank you. So Thank much. you so Thank much you for joining guys. us. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you guys. Cheers. 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 Cheers.